0: Que
1: lula, uh, me
0: puta que pariu.
1: In October 2009, the historian Luis Felipe de Alencastro wrote that it was a risk for Dilma Rousseff to have Michelle Temer as her vice-president. Temer embodies the gargantuan appetite of his pork-barreling Brazilian Democratic Movement Party. It would be, as Alan Castro asserted, the marriage between someone who had never had a single vote in her life with a professional politician who handles the congressional machine better than anyone. Criticized by the left for forming an alliance with Tamar and his party, Lula said at the time that, in Brazil, Jesus would have to make a coalition with Judas if he wanted to govern. Almost nine years later, we can think of a more appropriate way to describe Rousseff's political marriage to Temer. In 2016, Temer actively conspired to get Rousseff removed from the presidency and has, as his reward, occupied Brazil's highest office since May 2016. In two months, Brazilians will choose a new president. But this past weekend, it was our candidates' turn to choose their running mates, and we will explain why that matters. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. the next 10 weeks Explaining Brazil will focus on the upcoming election. Each week we will discuss a relevant topic to help you understand what will be the most uncertain race in Brazilian democratic history. And each week I'll be joined by Diogo Rodrigues, staff writer at The Brazilian Report. Hello, Diogo. Nice to have you here. How are you
0: doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Diogo, voters don't
1: care much about who are the vice presidential nominees in an election, but uh, history shows us that they should, right?
0: Yes, they definitely should, and uh, recent history shows us that uh, the vice president has a big chance of taking office before you know the the the, the actual president finishes his term. So, uh, only to, to to talk about three recent uh, examples. Uh, José Sarney took office in 1985 after after Tancredo Neves died before taking office. After him, uh, Itamar Temer took office when... Itamar Franco. <laughs> Itamar Franco took office. I'm getting to Temer. Itamar Franco took office uh, after Fernando Collor was impeached in 1992. And now, recently, we've had the example of Michel Temer taking office when Dilma Rousseff was ousted by, you know, Congress in 2016.
1: And it's funny because in Brazil, unlike other countries, uh, the vice president doesn't have uh, a specific role. It's just a stand-in, like, just-in-case kind of guy. Uh, because in the U.S. they preside over Senate, and here they don't have a specific role. But... Out of the 37 presidents in Brazil so far, eight of them took the job after being elected vice president. So, like you said, you you mentioned three since 85, but uh, almost one quarter of every Brazilian president was a vice president.
0: Yes, and and, and recently the slot of vice president which uh, uh, recently has been on the same ballot as the president. In the 60s, it wasn't like that before in the last period of democracy before the dictatorship. Uh, they, they were voted separately. It's unbelievable, but it's true. And uh, now it's being used as, a, as something to be negotiated. This slot is used to you know make a coalition. So that's why this, this, this position is very important and very dangerous at the same time. For
1: this election, so what do the coalitions we have in 2018 tell us? Which kind of vice presidential nominees did the candidates get this time around?
0: Well, the only candidate who managed to have a, a, let's say, strong coalition was Geraldo Alckmin. He managed to strike a deal with the Centrão, the centrist parties that dominate Congress, and he chose the senator Ana Amelia from Rio Grande do Sul, a very conservative senator, and that shows us that he's trying to steal votes from Jair Bolsonaro and Alvaro Dias, which is another uh, candidate from a small party Podemos that has the potential to steal some of the votes Alckmin might have in center right.
1: You mentioned Alckmin was the only one who did a true coalition and For me, most of the other candidates, uh, their choices reflect much more of a lack of option than anything else. Because if you take Jair Bolsonaro, the far-right candidate, he actually managed to get someone who is another version of himself, a former military officer uh, who was supportive of the military dictatorship so you don't gain anything else right there. You have uh Marina Silva who was an environmentalist candidate who got another environmentalist. So I don't know who she's reaching out to get right there. Uh, but like you said, Alckmin did get someone different because he's not pulling very well among women and he's losing votes in the south of Brazil. And uh, Anamélia, she comes from Rio Grande do Sul, so maybe she will help him with that. She's connected to uh, landowners and rural producers, so...
0: Yes, and 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 finally, Lula out of the main, uh, the main running teams, Lula chose Fernando Haddad as his running mate, who is also from the PT, is his disciple, so is someone who will probably represent him if he he's not able to run for president, and then he'll have Manuel Davila, which is from the the Communist Party, which is a historical PT ally, so it's something, it's a it's another pure breed uh, combination like the other ones we mentioned. And there's also Ciro Gomez, which uh, he chose Senator Cachabril that, that also belongs to the PDT, uh, his party. She's also, she has a, a different, she is, she's more like an Amelia. She's connected to the landowners, the, to the, land owners, to the uh, agribusiness, but she belongs to Ciro's party. He has not managed to find someone that can bring him more votes or someone who can, you know, present something different, bring something different to his candidacy.
1: Also, with a caveat, because uh, Anamelia, she's well-liked among uh, landowners, and she's appreciated among conservative circles, but Cachabreu, for listeners who don't get a little lost with all those names, Cachabreu is a senator that uh, is connected to landowners. She was president of a lobbying group for uh, the agricultural sector, but then she's trained away and she became a fervent supporter of Dilma Rousseff during the impeachment crisis. So now she's in a very awkward position because she's not very well liked among the left because she's close to landowners. But she's not anymore very well liked among the right because she got closer to Dilma, right?
0: Yes, that's true. And uh, Gustavo, would you say who would you say won the vice presidential nomination race so far? I think Alckmin has the best, you know, has put the best team together. I mean, we're trying to—it's uh, a prediction here, but yeah, it looks like he has more options at least.
1: Yes, exactly. I think Augmin comes with the best structured. Campaign in terms of traditional politics in Brazil it doesn't mean he's going to win. He's exactly. still pulling very – he has paltry n- numbers so far, yeah. around 6 7% of the votes. He's in uh, fifth place only. But we will have uh, the campaign on TV and radio starting on August 31st. So before that, it's kind of difficult to find out if his strategy to do – Politics as usual is going to work out. An interesting choice for me, even if I just said that it's more of the same, is Jair Bolsonaro's choice for vice president because he got an army general who is even more radical than he is, who proposed last year that the military make an intervention and grab power to solve Brazilians' uh, political problems, and who just uh, 24 hours after being named vice president, made a really racist remark against indigenous and black communities. So if Bolsonaro is impeached, this guy takes over. And uh, it has been reported that the Bolsonaro campaign thought that, okay, let's get someone that people will really not want to see running the country, so we will be safe.
0: So no one will think of impeaching him or even think about that. Exactly. Let's find out. But uh, that seems like a good strategy to me. (laughs) Yes.
1: You mentioned Lula. Lula named Fernando Haddad, who is a former mayor of São Paulo, as his running mate. But he won't be his running mate, regardless of what happened. Can you just explain to readers what's behind the Workers' Party strategy? Because uh, we still don't know if Lula will be on the ballot yet. The only certainty we have right now is that Fernando Haddad won't be as the VP nominee.
0: Yes. They hope that the hypothesis that Lula cannot run that the superior electoral court uh, rules that Lula is unable to to be on the ballot because he was uh, convicted in Operation Car Wash. They hope that Fernando Haddad will be able to get a, a certain percentage of his votes as you know the one who is anointed by Lula, the nominated one, the one that Lula wants to be the president of Brazil. That's I think it's the, it's the strategy that they're trying to devise okay. right now. And Fernando Haddad has been a mayor of São Paulo, minister of education. He was responsible for one of the major educational programs to uh, in the higher level that Lula had has as his triumph, as uh, something that he did. A student loan program who put millions of people exactly. in college. Many people who couldn't afford to be in college. They had uh, subsidies to study in private schools, private colleges. And uh, I think that's what they're trying to do here. They are trying to put Adaji as, you know, someone who will receive those votes, who, who will be anointed by Lula. And then in the event of former President Lula not being able to run, he will be, you know, his representative uh, as a president.
1: You mentioned former President Lula, who is the leader in all pools, but we don't know if he will run for office There's a big controversy right now because he has been convicted for corruption and money laundering. According to Brazil's legislation, he is ineligible for office. He's in jail. So there are many doubts around Lula's name. Will he be able to campaign from prison? And uh, will he be able to
0: be on the ballot at all? Yeah, we don't know that. It's something that we'll have to see, wait and see. Uh, We don't know if he's going to campaign. Probably not judging from what the Brazilian judges have decided so far, he will not be able to record videos, to participate in debates, or do anything other than writing letters from prison. So it's unlikely that he will be active in the campaign.
1: And uh, we we don't know who will be on the Workers' Party's ticket. The only thing we know right now is that uh, Fernando Haddad, who is currently the vice presidential nominee, who is a former mayor of São Paulo, a former minister of education, he won't be the VP nominee because the deal between the Workers' Party and the Communist Party is that the communist candidate, Manuela Dávila, will be the vice presidential nominee regardless of who is the real candidate. If it's Lula... It's Lula and Manuela. If Lula uh, gets barred, then it's Haddad and Manuela. If you're having a uh, hard time following this, it's because it's really complicated. We're taping this podcast on Tuesday, August the 7th. uh, In two days, so Thursday, August the 9th, we're going to have the first presidential debate of this campaign. And like you said, Lula is barred from debates because he's in prison. Meanwhile, Haddad and Manuela Davila are set to do a streaming video a uh, Facebook Live uh, to talk with their voters about their issues while the other candidates are debating. Do you think they're going to reach out to voters that are not already on their side by doing that? Because I believe the the average voter is going to be tuned into the debate, not watching a live streaming broadcast with only one uh, side of the, the election.
0: Yeah, it would be like a missed opportunity for the, the Workers' Party because not being in a in a debate that's going to be broadcast to the, the whole nation is something that, you know, it's bad for your campaign. And the Internet, we know that the Internet tends to form the so-called bubbles. And they're going to broadcast it over, uh, you know, Lula's Facebook page or Diageo's Facebook page. They're probably they're like to likely to reach only the people that already like them. They're, they're already planning to vote on them. So I think, yeah, they're going to miss out on a lot, and uh, they're going to miss out on the opportunity of debating the other candidates. Of of doing a standoff with Jair Bolsonaro, with Geraldo Alckmin, and I think this is something that's very bad for Lula's campaign or whoever uh, ends up being the candidate for the Workers' Party. Right
1: now, the last polls we have, it's from two months ago, from Datafolha, which is the most reliable Brazilian polling institute. We have... If Lula is not in the race, Jair Bolsonaro with 19% of the votes, then Marina Silva with 15% of the votes, Ciro Gomes, Geraldo Alckmin, and Álvaro Dias. Who do you think is more well-positioned right now to make a run for the runoff stage?
0: Well, this is something, it's a very hard question, Gustavo. This is very hard. I mean, like you said, this is one of the most, the most, Thrilling, not to say scary, <laughs> uh, elections we've had in several years, and uh, I think that I mean I tend to think that the candidates who are in parties or in coalitions that already have a structure, a party structure, that already that that have you know governments and to have. Congressmen all over the country. They tend to have a little advantage at this point because they have more TV time in the the electoral uh, uh, time on television that is mandatory, and they have more money because you know they're big parties and they have national penetration. So I tend to think you know the history shows us that the bigger the biggest parties like PT and PSDB or you know the centrist parties that have a, a, that that are very well established tend to be a little bit more adventurous, but it's anyone's guess at this point.
1: What we've seen in terms of the coalitions, back what you're saying, at least uh, on the party's perspective, that's what they are betting, that the election is going to follow the same pattern they have for the past 30 years. Yes. If you see on the left, uh, the Workers' Party and Lula did everything they could to isolate Ciro Gomes and leave him with just under a minute every day to talk to voters. And we, we have to realize also that half of uh, the Brazilian population doesn't have internet at home. They yes. may have a smartphone. They may access internet uh, in a restaurant or a cafe, but they don't have at home. So TV uh, might still play a big part in shaping their votes. So the left alienated Cito Gomes and ostracized him and the right flocked around Geraldo Alckmin. He is going to have half of the time for free TV uh, and radio airtime. Do you think we're going to have the same old polarization, Workers' Party versus the Social Democrats?
0: Well, I, I think it's definitely a possibility. Uh, judging from what specialists uh, have been saying and studying, like uh, Alberto Carlos Almeida, which is a political scientist, that has been studying the voting patterns in Brazil, and he has shown that it 's very unusual for the the voting pattern that creates a polarization between the PT and the PSDB uh, the centrist left and the centrist right to be changed now because of the whole context we have here, of course, we have Jair bolsonaro, which is unpredictable how he's going to perform, but like you said, Brazilians watch a lot of TV. Most of Brazilians own a TV and not all of them have permanent uh, internet access. So I think that we're going to see what's more important. Now, I think this is one of the important things that we're going to see in this election is how, how, how far the internet can go in influencing politics. I mean, for a fact, an election. We're going to see what's more important, or if they have equal importance: the TV and the internet. Now it's going to be like—I'm not going to say a showdown. We're going to—we're going to have evidence of how powerful the internet really is right now in Brazil, and how powerful TV still is in Brazil. Exactly, Diogo. Because uh, this is definitely the first.
1: Election that uh, we're going to have social media playing a big role. If you compare last time around in 2014, only 36% of adult, Brazilian adults were on social media and only 15% of them had a smartphone. Now 54% own a smartphone and 53% are on social media. We really don't have any evidence to compare with. This is going to be study case number one. Uh, whoever tells you that they know what's going to happen and how much social media is going to play a role is guessing. Exactly. Jogo, thanks very much. This is our first podcast on Brazil's 2018 election. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to discuss every week a different topic and help you understand what's going on. It's not going to be easy, but we'll do our best to explain Brazil's presidential election, and what's going on in our 27 states. Diogo, thank you very much for being here.
0: Thank you. I'll see you next, next week.
1: If you like this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's Brazilian.Report. Every day we have new content about Brazil's politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really for free. You don't have to put any credit card information. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Our handle is at BrazilianReport. That's all for now. See you next week.